Well, Lent is the 40 days, not including Sundays, from Ash Wednesday to the Saturday before Easter. So if you have given up something for Lent, you may in fact indulge in it on a Sunday. Um, it's just a little bit of friendly advice. Um, Lent is often described as a time of preparation and an opportunity to go deeper with God. Uh, and this means that it's a time for personal reflection that prepares our hearts and minds for Good Friday and Easter. It echoes the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan before he started his earthly ministry. We also remember the 40 years that the people of Israel spent in the wilderness as God prepared them to enter the promised land. And of course, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights while Noah and his family were being rescued in the ark. And uh, while they prepared themselves for a life in a cleansed world. So Lent is a time for preparation. So, so what do you think is the common feature of those three periods of 40 that I mentioned? Well, I guess you could give a number of answers. Obviously, they were times of testing of Noah, Israel and Jesus. And God is a key character in each story. But the thing that I have in mind is God's grace. The world that God saw at the time of Noah was so corrupt, he could have easily just wiped it out. Wiped out the whole of human life. And if he'd done that, well, no one would have missed Noah and his family. But God recognised the faithfulness of Noah and responded with his grace. First to warn him to build the ark and then to protect him through those 40 days of rain and several months in the ark before the water receded and to not be put off by his knowledge of the future transgressions of Noah for Noah did sin even after the flood. God's grace to the people of Israel through the Exodus stands out even more. Certainly it is the defining event of the whole of the Old Testament. God is more often referred to as the God who rescued his people from slavery in Egypt than any of the other attributes and achievements of God. There is grace in preserving Moses through his attempted drowning as a baby and protecting him from the consequences of the murder that he committed. Grace in the initial rescue, giving Moses what he needed to confront and confound Pharaoh. The escape in the night, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army. Grace in leading, feeding and clothing the people of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, as we saw in our first reading. Grace in forgiving their ungratefulness and their rebellion. Grace in revealing himself to Moses and grace in giving them the law and much more. And it's clear the people of Israel did not deserve the grace of God, just as we do not deserve the grace we receive through Jesus Christ. But there it was, God's grace, his, his free gift of salvation 
is the defining event of the Exodus, etched into the lives of every child of Israel. We see God's grace in Jesus' temptation in the desert for 40 days, grace in answering Jesus' prayers and grace for us, for we hear of this temptation. We see Jesus confront Satan and his tricks and temptations, and we see how Jesus thwarted him by quoting scripture to him. It is grace that we see God preserve Jesus in the desert and protect him from the wild animals and serve him through the angels. And we are better. We are blessed for seeing this, which we wouldn't otherwise see but for God's revelation to us of these events. And it's the good that comes from reflecting on God's grace that prompted my choice of our second reading today. We see the Apostle Paul reject any sense that he deserves God's grace. And then we see Paul rejoice in what he sees in Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God's grace and mercy. Uh, We can rejoice in that too. Uh, and, And we can be delighted and strengthened by considering exactly the same aspects of God's grace that Paul delights in here. And that's why I've gathered you together to hear this, so that we can delight in the same things that delighted Paul 2,000 years ago. And as we do, we reflect on these things through Lent and make ourselves ready to appreciate Good Friday and Easter even more. They will be part of our preparation. Uh, Although I've lived through 34 Easter's as a Christian, I I still approach Holy Week with humble anticipation. I I really look forward to Good Friday and Easter. Uh, And I'm really glad we've got six weeks to prepare ourselves for that, to, to reflect upon that. Our first connection with the Apostle Paul comes in the first line of our passage from his letter to the church in Philippi. That was a a Roman garrison town on the north coast of Greece. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble to me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. As I look out... I see many faces that I've seen in our previous Ash Wednesday services and some new ones, and welcome. Uh, But for those who've been here before, we're here today because we know of the joy there is in thinking about Jesus and the discipline of Lent. We, We may not think we need a safeguard, but God knows that we do. We confess our sins each time we meet. We pray prayers we've prayed before. We gain strength from meeting with God and each other and our confession, creed, prayers and Holy Communion will safeguard us in God's powerful love and care. There is his way of binding us into him. We talk about the unity of Christ and it's when we come together in these things that we are so wonderfully physically and emotionally and spiritually united with Christ. Like Paul, we should not think we are 
better than other believers because we're here on a Wednesday night uh, or for any other reason. Uh, Paul placed no store on his standing in the Jewish community, his circumcision on the right day, his tribe, his tribe, the strictness of Pharisaic compliance with the law, or his zeal for persecuting the church. Paul says those things count for nothing, which is a reasonably weak translation. Uh, it says they are rubbish or garbage. Or in the King James Version, dung. Bullshit is what he's saying, which I'm afraid always gives me a sense of some freedom to use the vernacular, not that, not that it's to be overdone. I don't want to play down the significance of the things you have done for God's church over the years, you people sitting here. Uh, you've supported the church in many ways, including through rosters and Bible studies and attending our services and supporting our ministries and leading our children. Uh, and there's much more valuable, and those things are much more valuable than Paul persecuting Christians. Yet they do not earn us God's grace. For God's grace is an outpouring of his love. And it's his gift to us. It just flows and flows and flows. Because God is love. And his love is so abundant, it expresses itself first in the act of creation and then in his many, many gracious actions to humankind. Paul is happy to say that nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, and that's the key text for today. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for, the, for whose sake he had given up everything that, he could stand, that would stand in the way of Paul and following Jesus. It, it's that that keeps me going day by day as I contemplate the horrors of war and the frightful conditions and prospects of millions of refugees around the world, the effects of persecution and poverty and disease, and even the mundane things like graffiti that can just sort of grind you down, and ignorance and rudeness in public life and social media. There is a shining beam of light every day that is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul captures it brilliantly in his prologue to his gospel. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or better, the light of Jesus totally obliterates darkness. Sorry, married at first sight and the bachelor, your squalid debasement of marriage, sex, the human body and human life do not stand a chance against Jesus. The corruption of Putin and his cronies, the sabre-rattling of President Xi and the nastiness of the ruling mullahs in Iran and, and the Taliban's and other coercive forces do not distract me from the joy there is in meeting 
with you in the name of Jesus and reading and thinking about Jesus. The mention of Jesus transports me to the hill on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where I become one of the crowd transfixed by his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. We we could do with some of those on the east side of Ukraine at the moment. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or I think what it would be like to be like the leper cleansed by Jesus or someone who had been paralysed for years to be able to walk or for the man blind from birth to be able to see. I think of the difference Jesus made in the lives of the people he healed and taught and upheld. Just imagine what it was like for that woman who was about to be stoned to death and Jesus come along and he shines his light into that terrible scene and his light drives away the hypocritical Pharisees and his light just lifts her up and gives her hope and gives her a way forward. They're the stories to explore as we work our way through Lent. Uh, and Mark's Gospel in uh, our Lenten readings and as we approach the betrayal, the trials and the beatings on the cross. And the shock and wonder of that empty tomb and Jesus standing among his disciples wishing them peace. Uh, an ultimate peace. That, could now have, that they could now have total confidence in as they saw the risen Lord. They knew he'd been nailed to a cross, but now they saw him standing before him. And when they saw him standing before this guy's conquered death. Yeah, I'm going to be on his side. Paul explains some of what he means by his phrase, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Uh, I often wondered what stories Paul told of Jesus' miracles and teaching. Uh, in his letters, we don't actually have him describing what Jesus was like. It's, it's, it's more abstract than that, but I'd, I'd love to know the stories that he told. But there, there's no doubt about what meant most to him about knowing Jesus. For him it was his new and completely unearned and undeserved status of being righteous before God. He speaks of not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. There's there's some discussion among theologians what Paul means here. Does God look to Paul and see his faith in Jesus and say, that's the right way to respond to me and be in relationship with me through Jesus? Does God look to the death of Jesus and uh, and impute Jesus' righteousness to Paul? Or, Or through our unity, with Christ? Do we get incorporated into Jesus' righteousness? 
they might all sound the same to you, but theologians see differences among them. But one way or the other, and perhaps in all of these ways and ways that we can't even imagine, Paul knows he is right with God because of his grace to Paul through faith. And, and it literally blows Paul's mind and it blows my mind whenever I think about it. How, how can we approach the God who created the whole of the universe and knows everything that we've done wrong and yet he says personally to each one of us, you are right with me because you love and trust Jesus. This enables Paul to say, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering because like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Just pause a moment. What does it mean to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus? What power could be left after the brutal, humiliating death on a Roman cross. To an outsider, it looks like the power of the Jewish religious authorities who had been able to con the Romans into killing Jesus had prevailed. Uh, Or the power of Pontius Pilate to get rid of this Jewish irritation. But the Jewish authorities and the Romans had no power over the resurrected Jesus. He went where he wanted to go. He could even walk through doors. He, he, he could do things they couldn't imagine a dead person doing. He could eat. He had cast off the earthly body to take on an imperishable and immortal body that we'll consider in more detail when we look at Paul's brilliant hymn to the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter. Paul's anticipating what it will be like to share in Jesus' victory and his righteousness. Uh, It's almost as if he's bringing it forward. Uh, He knows it now, he can feel it, he can touch it, he can taste it. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that Paul has the faith he needs to be able to contemplate those things. They were not open to him before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but now they were. Though Paul is well aware there is still work to be done in his life, he is a happy man. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's no doubt in those words, is there? That's the joy of knowing the resurrected Jesus. By the grace of God, we are not stuck in a never-ending cycle of something sometimes good and, and often bad. Paul has absolute certainty in what lies ahead. That is the no- nature of hope in the Bible. Not maybe, not fingers crossed, 
The goal is there. It is guarded by Jesus. He has already attained it. And we will follow him as night follows day. So let us, here tonight, press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. Let us share in the certain hope of the resurrection and not be put off by the disappointments and temptations of this life. Let us open ourselves during the period of Lent to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord so we are ready to celebrate his victory in 40 days. Let's enjoy the next 40 days thinking about Jesus and then celebrating his victory when we get to Good Friday and Easter. Well, Paul says this all becomes possible by faith. And in faith we're, we're promising, making promises to Jesus. Let's stand and sing of those promises now.